Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 71, and we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean, Sky High. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. And we do have a localized title for this episode, which is Sky Guy. Not that, bad. It just reminds me of Star Wars, the Clone Wars, because there's a character there who refers to Anakin Skywalker as Sky Guy. But <laughs> that thinking about the actual title, I'm reminded of that movie. Uh, it was it was called Sky High about the teenagers with superpowers. Oh, I th- yeah, Sky like high like the high school. Yeah. <laughs> so either way, I'm reminded of something else <laughs> when thinking about these titles. And apologies in advance. I am currently battling a, a mild cold, so I myself am not feeling too sky high right now. Uh, maybe the rods from the stand sky high sucked all the heat from my body but i will do my best to muster through this episode um episode discussion so bear with me we'd like to wish everyone a very happy new year because when this episode goes live we'll be approaching the end of 2022 which is kind of crazy to think about that we are already finishing out the year yeah, time always flies so fast, especially with 2022. I think we got a lot more JoJo content than we expected, especially with parts two and three of Stone Ocean coming out. Yeah, and taking a moment to reflect on this year for Strictly JoJo, it has been a very, very crazy year. Um, like you said, it's it's been more Stone Ocean content than we expected because we knew going into it that we would be getting the second core of Stone Ocean. But then suddenly Netflix is like, oh, by the way, you're also getting the third core before the end of the year, which none of us are complaining about. The sooner we can see the end of Stone Ocean, the better. And it's been a very wild ride of a JoJo part. But it's also kind of uh, an unexpected wild ride for us here at Strictly JoJo because we had planned to start off the year with our part three review series and then jump back into Stone Ocean, then jump back into part three, and then eventually jump back into Stone Ocean. Had to change all of that and just continue straight through Stone Ocean up until the end of this year. And of course, we're going to continue that on into next year for the next several weeks as we round out the last set of episodes. But it's been great. It's been great to say that 2022 has been filled with Stone Ocean content, has been filled with JoJo content, and it may be a couple of years before we get to experience that again. And we, of course, want to thank you guys for all of your support throughout this year. We've seen a lot of growth for Strictly Strictly JoJo. We've seen um, a number of people join our Discord or join our Patreon or just reach out to us in general and express their love of Strictly JoJo and their love as fellow JoJo fans. So thank you, everyone, for joining us each and every week or each and every other week, depending on which which part we're reviewing and uh, always being that great JoJo family. We also have a very big personal announcement to share. But before we do that, as you know, we talked a little bit about new patrons, we do want to shout out some of our newest patrons to the Strictly Series Patreon. So first off, we want to shout out Christian L. Thank you so much for supporting us, joining the Patreon, and being a member of the Strictly fam. We really appreciate your support. It means a ton to us. 
We'd also like to shout out Saga, another new patron who in particular is a very big fan of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Saga actually reached out to us via email to share their love of Strictly JoJo, their love of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, how they got into JoJo. So we're very happy to have a fellow JoJo fan joining us in our Strictly fam. And Saga's email had words of support, really kind message that they shared with us about Strictly JoJo and how much they've been enjoying the podcast. And we're so, so happy to hear it. And it also included a couple of very interesting questions. So we won't read through the entire email, um, but we will cover three particular sets of questions that Saga asked because we just, we, we couldn't do these questions justice if we tried to respond to them via email. We thought it would be best to talk through them on the podcast. So Saga's first questions are around the OVAs. Um, they mentioned that they came across the OVAs and had well, the Stardust Crusaders OVAs and had watched them. Um, they found that the old OVAs allowed for more nuanced emotional displays from characters such as Jotaro and Kakyoin, who in comparison are portrayed as stiffer and more emotionally distant in the newer version by David Productions. So Saga asks, have you guys seen the OVAs? If so, how would you compare them to David Productions' version when it comes to character expression, art style, etc.? So truthfully, no, we have not seen the OVAs, although we have seen a number of screenshots from them, a number of memes from them, and I have seen a couple of clips. But I think through the clips that I've seen, I definitely see what you're saying about some of the character expressions being a little more expressive in general, particularly Polnareff. I feel like he's got some really wild expressions in the OVA. Yeah, I think I've seen a couple clips of the OVAs on YouTube. I haven't seen the OVAs in their entirety as well. Um, the one I did see was, I think it was a dub of the Stardust Crusaders, like the climax of part three, uh, where Dio is entering the taxi and just fun fact, I think the driver, the taxi driver for the dub is played by Charles Martinet, who is the voice for Super Mario, or like Mario from the Mario Brothers franchise. And yeah, I'll say like the, the art style, very reminiscent of, of that era of early 90s, 2000s, um, which kind of feels nostalgic in a way. I'll, I'll say that it doesn't feel as detailed and as close to the style of the manga as David Productions adaptation is, but I can see how things can be more expressive in the OVAs than they are in David Productions adaptation. This is a really good question though, because it makes me wonder as an anime only Jojo fan, if the manga had more expression from Jotaro and Kakyoin and certain characters, I wonder like, if any manga readers out there can share with us, like in the manga, is Jotaro more closely portrayed the way he is in David Productions adaptation or in the OVA adaptation? Because then it, that would kind of help us to know if like David Production was being more or less true to the manga or the way Araki originally intended certain characters to come off where they are less emotional, um, less expressive and more like... You know, you know how Jotaro is. Like he's just like hyper focused in the David production animation. Uh, or hyper on everything sundere. That he does. Yeah, hyper sundere. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. Maybe we should watch them sometime and and do a, a sort of mini review on the OVAs. I think as 
true anime only jojo fans we definitely should i agree i think at some point we're going to tackle the ovas who knows when that'll be because we have plenty of david david production um stardust crusaders to get through but i think at some point that would be a lot of fun to do saga's second question um is about kakyoin so they shared, I've been listening to most of your episodes about part three, where Courtney sometimes calls Kakioin the only straight man of the Stardust Crusaders. From what I've seen, a big part of the fandom seems to think the opposite, and I also instinctively saw him as a queer-coded character when I watched part three. Ultimately, we'll never know, but I'm curious if there's a reason why you see him as the quote-unquote straightest one, apart from his status as a MILF hunter, that mm. is. <laughs> he does love Holly, that's for sure. That's his whole motivation for like going to Egypt. Everyone just stuck with that and just started calling him a, a, a MILF hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a really interesting question because I, I, I may be wrong, um, but I believe that Saga is um, not based or not a resident of the U.S. And sometimes as uh, Americans, we forget that some of our colloquialisms or some of our sayings or expressions may not align to the way other countries would view those same expressions. So I, I pulled up the definition of a quote-unquote straight man because I was having a hard time describing it. So while it does sound like a heterosexual individual, here in the States at least, and maybe in other countries as well, a straight man is, and I'm reading this off of Wikipedia, or actually no, not the Wikipedia one, I didn't like that one. Um, I'm going to read this off of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary website. The meaning of... <laughs> Very official. <laughs> the meaning of straight man is a member of a comedy team who feeds lines to a partner who in turn replies with usually humorous quips. So that's the traditional way that we see a straight man in the comedy world is like the straight man like is, is straight in the sense that like they don't try to infuse any humor in what they're saying. And then the other person or whatever can kind of feed off of that and then inject the humor into the situation or, or bring the joke to life or whatever. But I think it's gone a little bit beyond that. And sometimes you hear um, like in media, movies, TV shows, etc., the term straight man used to describe a member of like a group or a cast of characters that is very rational, very level headed, um, is definitely not like the goofy one. So a good way to describe it is the opposite of a straight man would be Polnareff because he's goofy. He's irrational. He he does things that just don't make sense, but he brings a lot of comedy into the situation. Kakyoin, on the other hand, tends to be, again, very rational. He can kind of stop, think, assess a situation, and come up with a plan. Or he can kind of help guide the Polnareff types of the group um, down the correct path to make sure that the, the, the group or that person is not straying or not going to get themselves into a bad situation. Is that a, in a fair way of describing it, would you say? Yeah, I'm also thinking if the term straight-laced is also where the, the term straight man derived from. Um, I'm just Googling the definition for straight-laced, and it says, having or showing very strict moral attitudes, which is in line with everything that you said. Uh, again, using Kakuin as the example, he's very prim and proper and level-headed, like you said, compared to characters like Polnareff, who are just very aloof, or Jotaro, who's just very straightforward and, and brash when it comes to the things they say or do. I would almost equate Jotaro to the same level as Kakyoin. Like, Jotaro's another straight man of the group because Jotaro keeps Joseph in check because Joseph can kind of go off 
and like do crazy things. I would also even say Avdol is is a straight man as well because Avdol's pretty level headed. He's a smart character. He he drives the care uh, the group forward in their mission. So like Kakyoin, um, I, I think most recently because this is one of the episodes that we had finished up our part three review series before jumping back into Stone Ocean. I think about the episode where Avdol was seemingly killed by Whole Horse and Jay Guile. And mm. you've got Polnareff freaking out. He's upset. He wants to go right after them. But then Kakyoin tells him, hey, let's take a step back. We got to get out of here first. We got to protect ourselves first before we can get revenge for Avdol. So in that dynamic, Kakyoin is the straight man of that duo because he's helping to keep Polnareff from doing something based on emotion. He's trying to use logic in their attack plan against Jay Guile and Whole Horse. So hopefully that makes sense what we mean about a straight man, but this is a good reminder for us to make sure that we clarify what certain terms mean or what certain colloquialisms mean so that everybody who listens to our podcast globally can understand the intent behind what we're saying. As far as Kakyoin's sexual orientation goes, I actually have no clue because to your point, like we'll ultimately never know because he gets donutted at the end of part three. And I think there's not enough interaction with him and possibly like romantic interests in part three for at least me personally to see it clear enough on you know what his um, sexual orientation actually is so i could i could see it going either way mm -hmm. like like saga said there is that meme out there of him being a milf hunter so that could be one sign of what his sexual orientation is um but for me personally like yeah he's one of those very ambiguous characters where i could see it going really anyway yeah i think part three the only character who you really see that demonstrates their sexual preferences is, is polnareff really uh, the Frenchman, yeah. when he's flirting with those girls after he joins the team. Um, but yeah, I think Kakuin can go either way, and I can see it like either way as well. You could also assume Jotaro and Joseph because they ultimately get married to women. So you could say, like, at least on some level, they um, are attracted to, to women. But yeah, Polnareff is definitely in your face about it all throughout part three. That's one of his... his uh, Funniest moments is when he joins the group, the Crusaders, and does a 180 in his personality where he's all like serious and very honorable. And then suddenly those girls show up and he's like, ladies, 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 let me take your pictures. Mm -hmm. Saga's last question is about art style in JoJo. They mentioned there's a big stylistic change between some of the parts of the anime. For example, part three's drawing style had a sharper, more masculine feel. Um, while part four style is softer and its characters are more proportionally drawn. I was wondering if you guys have a favorite art style of all the animated parts of Jojo so far. For me, and this is Saga saying this, for me, I like the style in part four and how it fit the small town setting, but at the same time, I just couldn't get used to seeing Jotaro, my favorite Jojo so far, drawn that way. Nice. You like Jotaro as well. It's my <laughs> number one Jojo. That is a good point. It is weird to watch the Jotaro like physically shrink as the parts go on you've got part three jotaro part four jotaro you've got you've got part five jotaro as well as part three part five jotaro and now you've got part six jotaro as well as part three part six jotaro so it's mm -hmm. so weird how many variations there are plus there's also technically part two jotaro for like a hot second at the end yeah i think there, there's a meme i've seen various uh instances of a meme where it shows jojo as the parts go along and it turns from like big beefy men 
to just really skinny toothpick <laughs> toothpick sized characters. He becomes slender, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say for me, my favorite art style is also part four. There's something about the way that part four is drawn where it is softer, um, where it's it's less like in your face that I really appreciate. Because when we jump back from part four to part five, I feel like they infused more of like the lines, like the bold lines on everyone's faces. You've got the sharp pointed noses that they have. Um, there's more of a point to like the upper lips. Um, like Jorno has those like lines across his nose and around his eyes. And then similar in part three, like Jotaro had like the sharp lines. Actually, everyone had the sharp lines going around the cheeks, down the face. Um, so yeah, I, I I personally like part four because it does have, um, yeah, just like a softer feel to it. And I like the way that Jotaro is drawn. I like Daddy Jotaro in part four. So he's my favorite version of Jotaro so far. So that's another bonus for me. See, I, I actually like the art style of part five because I think that's where Araki really settled into his JoJo style that he's continued to use from part five onwards. Uh, and even in part six, uh, the anime, I would say like they more or part six closely resembles part five with a little bit of part three mixed in as well. Uh, but obviously that's where you have the quintessential JoJo lines on characters' faces and just the over-exaggeration of shadows on their, uh, their, their characters' forms and designs and, and settings. Um, and I think it's become like a meme in and of itself, uh, seeing this art style. So I, again, I think part five really establishes Araki's distinct drawing and artistic creativity uh, with the abundance of lines everywhere. I do also want to call out the manga for part seven and eight, because to your point, um, I feel like Araki has always taken inspiration for Jojo poses and fashion from high fashion, like the, the fashion industry, fashion magazines, fashion photos and whatnot. And I feel like he then took the art styles for seven and eight and actually used like high fashion drawings to then influence the way he draws everything because there's something so um like eccentric and very like how do I put this like um upper class about the way he draws characters and especially their faces faces and their facial features in part seven and eight and I'm so excited to see how David Productions mimics that when hopefully they inevitably animate part seven and eight. Thank you so much, Saga, for these questions. This has been a lot of fun to read through them and answer them because they they were really thought-provoking. And now I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking we should definitely infuse the OVA into Strictly JoJo at some point because we've, we've been thinking about it. We haven't committed to it, but we'll look to see when we can add that to our schedule. And just overall, thank you to both Christian and Saga for, for joining our Patreon family. I, I would say that your support has got us really feeling sky high. Yes, thank you again. We appreciate you guys so much. And if any of you listening would like to support the show and get access to things like our bonus episodes, our pre-shows, our show schedules, or even submit questions for us to answer on our podcast like we did with Saga, then head over to patreon.com slash series. And last but certainly not least, before we jump into today's episode, as we mentioned, we have a very big 
personal announcement that we would like to share with everybody. I'm a little nervous. I don't know why I'm so nervous, but um, we wanted to share with all of you guys, our amazing listeners, that we are having a baby. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> so we are like the Joe Stars, I guess, continuing our lineage and we're bringing a little weeb and hopefully a little JoJo fan into the world yeah, pretty little, soon. Bringing a little green baby. A little baby stando. <laughs> yeah. well, hopefully it won't have a crazy stand like all these JoJo characters, but Yes, it will be nice to continue our own <laughs> lineage with the arrival of this child. And we've been really eager to tell you guys, uh, share this news with all of you. It's been a very hectic last couple of months, and it'll continue to be hectic for the next few months. And I'm sure when the baby's here as well, it'll get even more hectic. But we're very, very excited, and we'll keep you guys posted along the way. So moving from our family into the Joe Star family, let's talk about Sky High. I almost said Sky Guy because I was looking at the localized name. It's Sky High. Um, I thought this episode with the introduction of Rekiel was, I don't know, it was, it was a very goofy episode in an unexpected way. I don't think on the surface it's goofy, but when you think about Rekiel's situation and how nothing really went his way the entire episode, I did find a little bit of like subtle humor infused throughout this showdown. Just finding uh, hilarity in his depression, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's just like there, I don't know, maybe it's like a whole horse type of situation because I really do like whole horse where he acts high and mighty. He has this ego, but shit gets shoved in his face left and right every time he goes up against one of the Joe bros. And here it's no different for Rekiel. He got his bike stuck in the mud. He was looking for the key and it was in the ignition the entire time. His eyelids started drooping again. Like he just couldn't get a W even when he, he was so close to doing so. So I just thought it was kind of funny to watch. Like he came off as a character who had it all together, but when we see the flashback in this episode, we know very strongly that he is struggling to put on this facade and is not in his nature to be a confident character. I think the thing I notice most between Rikil and Jolene's battle in this episode is it's almost like a classic case of the JoJo one-upsmanship. Um, and <laughs> like Jolene's battle with, I think we call him the dastardly dairy dude, um, from last episode, uh, it's almost reminiscent of Jolene's great grandfather and his antics in a certain chariot race against a powerful pillarman. It wasn't to that level, but just their back and forth this episode made me think back on on the lineage. Right, he would be her great grandfather. Yes, because if it's Jotaro's grandfather and she's his daughter, then yeah, great-great-grandfather. And then you have Jojo's Bizarre Adventure mixed in with science, which is kind of interesting. I think in part two of Stone Ocean, we had philosophy that was mixed in with the complexity of Green Baby's stand, Green Green Grass of Home. Uh, but with Rikil's stand, which is all about rods or whatever, uh, it... it Looking back at it, it seemed like this was almost an appetizer to the numerous instances of science that is injected into the JoJo universe that occur later in this core. 
So get ready, JoJo fans, to defend your derriere as we dive her down into our synopsis and discussion for Part 6, Episode 27, Sky High. Jolene, Hermes, and Emporio get to the chopper, but realize that their eyes are wide shut thanks to the enemy stand abilities of Dio's next of catastrophic kin, Milkmaid Man, who meanders into their marsh on his motorbike. The stand, gifted by Poochie Gangier to stop Milkmaid Man from panicking so much at the disco, allows him to control little beetleborgs that mess with everyone's internal nest thermostats. But guess what? Jolene circumvents this by turning herself into the human torch. But guess what? Milkmaid Man copy-pastes himself in flames as well and finds the right spots in Jolene's body to weaken and exploit. But guess what? Jolene is able to find Milkmaid Man despite her disabled video game controls by using the trademark Joestar GPS. But guess what? Milkmaid Man makes a last-ditch effort in turning his body into Novocaine and grappling Jolene, forcing her into a choice to kill him or be killed. But guess what? Jolene is inadvertently safe from harm due to Milkmaid Man unintentionally serving as her heating pad. But before Hermes can deliver a killing blow to the dastardly dairy dude, he imparts some key info about Poochie Gangier's recipe for disaster in his final breaths. And guess what? The Poochie Gang might be a little bigger than we thought, weather permitting. And now on to our next segment of the show is that a music and or fashion reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. First off, we have Rikiel himself, the enemy stand user of this episode. His name is a reference to Sonia Rikiel, a French fashion designer and writer dubbed the Queen of Knits and known for creating the Poor Boy Sweater. And the second reference in this episode is a musical reference with Rikiel's stand, Sky High. This is a reference to Sky High which is a 1975 song by the British rock band Jigsaw, used as the main theme for the film The Man from Hong Kong, and is now known as their most popular song. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown. We list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And we don't have any. I kind of thought maybe the Emporio peeing blood part was a, a meme, but... I think I've just, I've seen it on occasion posted, but not like a true meme format. So as always, if there are any that we missed from this episode, please reach out and let us know. I think Rikiel's outfit is a meme. Dude, that's a vibe. It's so good. (laughs) Who wears, I'm assuming it's made of cowhide. Why would you wear cowhide in the middle of Florida climate? You know, it's Florida. I don't know. (laughs) Well, speaking of Rikiel, I did want to call out one manga trivia bit that um, unfortunately did not make its uh, presence known in the anime. Basically, what I'm trying to say is when I was reading through the manga, I recalled a some sort of mention of Giorno because we are talking about Sons of Dio and he is technically a son of Dio. So in the manga, I don't know what page it's on, but I will share a screenshot of this in the Discord. So if you're not a member, the link to join is in the description. But there's a privilege card that Araki had for Rikyo where it gives a little bit of backstory about him or like a recap of his origin story. 
And at the bottom of it, I'm, I'll just read it out verbatim here. It says, Giorno Giovanna, parentheses, referred to Jodo's Bizarre Adventure Part 5, Golden Wind, and parentheses, is also a son of Dio. But then, why was he not drawn to the priest as well? This is a mystery. But, dot, 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 perhaps he is already somewhere in Florida, dot, dot, dot. So as a manga reader, you read that and you're like, holy shit, holy shit, is Giorno going to show up? Is he going to like battle Poochie or make contact with Jolene? And no, he doesn't. <laughs> like he just straight up wow. doesn't. Wow. What was he at? Like a international mafia conference in Florida? Well, the theories that a lot of JoJo fans have are the ones that I've seen most often are that like jo- Giorno like Jotro, like Jolene, like the Sons of Dia, like they were all drawn to Poochie, um, to Florida, because Stan users are already attracted to other Stan users, but Joe stars also are like drawn to each other and they can sense sense each other. But the but that maybe he didn't actually try to find Poochie because he, again he can sense another Joe star if he's even aware of the Joe stars, which I would assume at this point Polnareff being a turtle has filled Jorno in about the Joe star lineage. So maybe he intentionally stayed away because he could feel a presence in Florida. But if he's in Florida, I don't know what for for what reason. Maybe he's got some mafia business to take care of. But that's kind of weird that an Italian mafia would have business to take care of in Florida. Well, if you think about Scarface, there were there were gangs in Miami, so <laughs> maybe there was some sort of deal going on. I don't. I'm just this is pure speculation. I would like to see this as some sort of one-off thing or like an OVA. That would be cool. Yeah. But I think people assume that if Pucci were to go up against Giorno, Pucci would never win because Gold Experience Requiem is such an OP stand, like an overpowered stand. Mm -hmm. So it probably would have caused an imbalance in the way that part six played out. But it's like, man, Araki, that's like a, a huge dick tease to be like, well, maybe he's in Florida somewhere and then never mention him again through the rest of part six. And also, what was Josuke doing? Like, was he just still in Japan? Probably. Maybe the, the poll was less for Josuke because he's not a son of Dio. He's a son of Joseph. Mm, that makes sense. But yeah, if you're interested in seeing that, if you haven't read the manga, like I said, we'll, we'll share it in the Discord. And you too can be disappointed that Araki teased this idea and never followed through with it. The episode starts off with Emporio flying a fucking helicopter Why? after just reading some books about how to fly a helicopter. Holy shit. That's that what either really Im- impressive or really dangerous. That's what's implied that he, he read books. I'm assuming, because he mentions later about the library in his room, that that's how he's able to fly this because he read something. Yeah, I think he briefly mentioned in the previous episode uh, after the Romeo stuff that he has read books about how to how to operate a helicopter. And then maybe he also mentions it in this episode. I can't remember. But basically, he confirms that he just read some books about helicopters. And now he's able to fly a fucking helicopter. I like how the prison posse, they're, they're just entrusting him to be like the pilot for this helicopter. And then later, I'm pretty sure he's the driver of like one of their getaway cars. Is he even old enough to drive? I don't isn't think he he's like 16. T- isn't he 10? Yeah, I don't even know if he's old enough to to see over like the dashboard and see out the windshield because <laughs> he's sitting on a box. Don't, don't they have him on a box in the car? 
Yeah. And, and he's got he like a, extensions on like his feet. A, yeah, brick or something on his foot. <laughs> oh my God, and, yeah, all the people. <laughs> he's around 11 years old during the time of Stone Ocean. Well, shit goes crazy in the helicopter when the rods start attacking and Jolene yeets herself, Hermes, and Emporio out of the helicopter, which then allows Hermes to see the enemy stand as it's chasing after them because apparently it's too quick for the, the human eye to, to see. But I guess when it's like, you're falling and they're also chasing you at the same direction. They probably seem a little more stagnant in the sky so you can get a good view of them. Yeah, so this is where science starts to get infused into JoJo. I was reading an article on Wikipedia about what they call the rods, uh, which is an optical phenomenon of elongated visual artifacts appearing in photographic images and video recordings. Um, I think people are purporting it to be an optical illusion due to motion blur and are typically after image trails of flying insects and their wing beats. So not necessarily an object in itself, but I think this was a generally new phenomenon around the time that Araki was writing this. So I think he just took it to be a creature in and of itself. Well, it's a creature in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure now. <laughs> and we find out that those creatures belong to Rikiel. Um, But before that, I just got to say, Rikiel's outfit is such a mood. I love the cow print. I love the neck brace look. I don't understand it, but I think it's such a good outfit. And I hope with part six premiering that at some point I see somebody cosplay as Rikiel at a convention. I mean, if you Google uh, Rikiel cosplay, you can see some cosplayers who've already taking up that challenge uh, and are wearing the cow print one piece. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, and you can actually buy it too. That's so funny. Maybe I'll cosplay as Rekiel for an upcoming convention. It's so good. <laughs> so shortly after getting introduced to Rekiel um, and him getting introduced to Jolene and Hermes and Emporio, we get a flashback with Rekiel and Pucci where Rekiel explains that when he's under extreme pressure or stress, he sweats a lot. He can't breathe. His eyelids droop. Uh, basically, he has panic attacks. And it all started when he was a kid in school. And I know there was this lingering question um, with the Ungalo arc or episode where, uh, you know, we were wondering, like, does, does the, the stand power that these Sons of Dios have... Sons of Dio's Son, sons, sons of, of Dio. Dio. <laughs> okay, let me re, let me re-say that. That was a really weird sentence structure. The stand powers that the sons of Dio have are those innate powers, or are those stand powers given to them by Pucci? And how did those stand powers come to be if they're innate, as you know, uh, descendants of Dio? Well, we learn here in the flashback that Pucci actually pulls out Rikiel's disc to study his stand, a stand that he already possesses as a son of Dio. He just hasn't tapped into yet because he doesn't understand what stands even are. So this confirms that, same with Ungalo, their stands became awakened either at contact with Pucci or maybe when Ungalo got shot with those bullets. I don't know. And that's when they were able to manifest their stands and use them against Jolene and the Jobros. Yeah, that just makes me curious about uh, how Jorno, the foremost son of Dio, got his stand. I'm just reading a quick answer here on Google that his stand was also dormant until he was about 15 when it was awakened by nearby stand users or 
the members of Passione. So I feel like it's just it's running in their blood, but yeah, they haven't had the potential awakened in them yet. We we talked extensively about this in our the beginning of our part three review series because that's when stands are officially introduced. And if I recall correctly, I believe Avdol says to the Joe Bros that he is a stand user by birth or by like heredity or whatever that his was like innate in him and then came forth. But then we learn in part four. And a little bit in part three, I think they tease it at the end of part three, that stand users who are not born stand users through their lineage can actually become stand users when they're shot with the arrow. And it's a 50-50 shot of whether you're going to die or whether you're going to live and manifest a stand. So it's interesting that with Jolene's case, she's technically a stand user being a Joe star and that whole lineage having stands. Mm-hmm. But her stand was not manifested and activated till she pricked her finger with a piece of the arrow. Mm-hmm. But in this flashback, when Pucci confirms what Rikiel's stand is, that's immediately when Rikiel is able to manifest them and control them. So it looks like for Rikiel and maybe even Ngalo, all it took was just knowledge of the stand's existence for it to manifest itself versus like some more intense situation like what Jarno had. Or was it like the healing hand of a priest? Yeah, <laughs> right? maybe that. Did <laughs> <laughs> feel very religious in a sense. Jumping back into present day, the fight between Rikiel and Jolene. Rikiel tries. So this is where the, to me, the goofiness, the subtle goofiness starts. Rikiel tries to lure Hermes and Jolene toward him for an attack. And he's got his inner monologue saying like, I'll get them closer to me so that I can attack them directly or whatever. And then Jolene immediately says, hang on, Hermes, let's not get too close to him because we don't know enough about his stand yet. And it's like, wah, wah, sorry, Rikiel. And then his bike starts to sink into the mud. He starts to panic, can't find the keys, but the keys are in the ignition the entire time. Um, And then he's like, well, it's okay because Jolene and Hermes have short distance stands or short range stands. So as long as they're far away from me, they can't attack me. And then Hermes immediately uses rocks to attack him from a distance using her stickers to rebound them back. So again, it's, it's Rikiel acting all high and mighty, acting all cocky now that he has his stand, but then nothing really goes his way. Even when he seems super confident, even when the, the fight between him and Jolene is at its climax, there's still things that just don't go his way. And I I keep thinking of Whole Horse. Like, that's like the vibe I get. I think that's why I enjoy Rikiel so much. And I think it's almost like a tongue-in-cheek reference to the fact that uh, in this whole episode, you know, Rikiel is doomed to, to fail against Jolene. So almost like a reference to how fate and destiny are playing out, not just in this encounter between Rikiel and the prison posse, but just what happens later on in Stone Ocean. And then we come to the eye catch for this episode. Yes. So we finally have an eye catch for part three of Stone Ocean, and that's with the stand Sky High, since there is a physical manifestation of this stand. Uh, So very interesting stats, though. Destructive power is at none. Speed is at none. Range is B, durability is C, precision and accuracy is none, and development potential is none. So not a very strong stand, but when controlled the right way through Rikiel's abilities, I guess it can be pretty effective. And in this eye catch, you can actually see, I think this is the actual stand itself. 
it's a little beetle that's a uh, in the picture it's attached to Rikiel's um wrist so i i'm pretty sure that's the stand it's not like a humanoid it's just a little beetle looking figure and speaking of being able to control it in a way that's formidable against enemies, when we jump back into the episode, we see Emporio and Hermes start to succumb to the rods with Hermes. I think like her hand starts rotting and her fingers. They, something about part six and like broken fingers is like a thing. And I, I can't yeah, handle it. <laughs> broken bones, like things moving the way that they shouldn't. That, that makes me really queasy. So her fingers are all fucked up and then they're all starting to rot. I'm like, God damn, Araki. <laughs> yeah. And the, I think there's a worst thing with fingers later on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that makes my, my spine go tingly. But yeah, so Hermes starts to have a fucked up hand or her, her legs stop working, I think she mentions. Um, and then Emporio starts to pee blood because something's attacking his kidneys. And Emporio then realizes that these rods survive off of body heat when he moves Jotaro's memory disc um, to the side and sees that his his flesh, his skin is still pink with warmth behind the um behind the disc itself and then he's like oh shit i read about this just like the helicopter what a he's smart like, 11 year old. he's like i learned about this in a book that i read in my ghost room so at least the knowledge that he's gathered over his lifetime being stuck in the prison is coming you know is basically useful for jolene's uh purposes and then Rikiel reveals that um, his goal is to hit Jolene's brainstem. It's a difficult place to hit, but it is fatal. And that sort of starts this final one-on-one -on -one between Rikiel and Jolene. So she says, fuck it. I'm just going to go and approach him directly so that I can beat the shit out of him. In order to counter the rods, Jolene lights her strings on fire to make it difficult for the rods to locate her body heat. And then Rikiel decides to light himself on fire in response to that. Um, and this is interesting because of what's said next. And it's uh, it's a comment, I believe, by Hermes, where Jolene comments that Jolene is a completely different person than when they first met, thanks to her Joestar resolve that she inherited from her father. And you can see that throughout this fight, she Jolene is calm and collected. She does what needs to be done in order to overcome Rikyo's stand, even if it means lighting herself on fire. But I also kind of got that that sense from Rikyo because mm -hmm. he lights himself on fire, saying that he needs the only way he can overcome an enemy is to put himself in their shoes. And that also feels like Joestar resolve because technically he has a birthmark. Technically he's a son of Dio. And Dio's got Jonathan's body. So, I mean, whatever yeah. your take is on that whole theory, um, you know, I think Rikiel's displaying some of that resolve on his end. And Rikiel says something, like, I think once he lights himself on fire, uh, it's something that you would expect a Joestar to say, but he says it. And he says, my spirit will surpass yours. And it, something about this just reminds me of Jonathan Joestar for some yeah. reason. Like, just how... How noble he was with his cause, but now his blood is being twisted in this unfortunate-looking son of Dio. Um, so, I, I think last week or the, the episode prior, I had commented on how these the three sons of Dio that appear in this part, uh, I feel like they might represent an aspect of Dio's character or personality. I think Ungalo was sort of Dio's cynicism with the world, and I think Rikiel here represents Dio's tenacity 
and his overconfidence, which that makes me think back to part three when he thought he had it all against uh, Jotaro in his climactal, climactic battle with him in Egypt. It's just weird because Rikyo starts off this episode having like sort of the opposite characteristics of tenacity and, and confidence before he becomes comfortable with his stand. There's also a part of me that realizes Jolene doesn't fully understand the way the Joestar birthmark works, the Joestar lineage works, the Joestar resolve works, because she kind of takes a moment to think to herself, like, oh, Rikiel knew that I was in the helicopter, similar to the way that I could sense the green baby and how I can sense Poochie. She's all, she's figuring it out as she goes, because I I need to remind myself that Jotaro did not have the chance to explain anything to her. Mm-hmm. Once um, once he got incapacitated at the prison, I mean, that was it. Like, whatever he was able to tell her in that room, that vis- visitation room, was all that Jolene understands at this point about the way her Joestar blood works. So she's seeing a birthmark on Rikiel's shoulder when he rips his shirt, and then she's putting the puzzle pieces together saying, oh, shit, he's got a birthmark. He has some connection to me, and that's how he was able to know my location, just like I'm able to sense others with the birthmark. So it's kind of cool to see her figure this all out on her own, but it's also, it, it makes me wonder how different things would have turned out, at least maybe not at the end of the story, but just like, you know, uh, the journey along the way, how things would have turned out had Jotaro been able to tell Jolene everything she needed to know about enemy stand users and about the Joestar heritage. Yeah, I, thinking about that, I feel like it would almost be too derivative of what happened in Stardust Crusaders, where you know Jotaro had a, a support group with him. Not that Jolene doesn't, but that support group included Joseph Joestar, who had all the knowledge about the, the Joestar's fight against uh, Dio. Uh, but I, I kind of like it that like in Stone Ocean, Jolene's kind of left out on her own to figure all of this out. And even without Jotaro's insight, it's still the, the Joestar instinct that causes her to think through these things similarly to a Joestar who has all the knowledge and still arrive at the same end point. Yeah, it's a good point because even Josuke had all that knowledge because he spent a lot of time with Jotaro. I would say Jorno and Jolene are the ones who had to figure it all out on their own and may not even fully understand it, um, at least at the point that we're at in Stone Ocean. By the way, I, I just love the throwaway line uh, where Hermes calls Rikiel the bastard with the boob window. I was like, yes, let's fucking go. <laughs> but a part of me was like, hey, don't bash boob windows. Jorno and yeah. Mucheretti pulled that shit off. <laughs> I wonder if you would say the same thing to them. The showdown between Rikiel and Jolene ends in a very interesting way where Jolene continues to pummel Rikiel with the uh, with Stonefree's punches and Rikiel inadvertently ruins his plan of attacking the back of her neck by keeping his hand back there and distracting the rods from where the heat needs to be absorbed. So there's this whole concept that gets dropped of dumb luck. How did you survive, Jolene? Was it dumb luck? And that immediately made me think of Joseph. Right, in his fight against cars. Because it, depending on whether you believe Rikiel that this is all fate, or do you believe Jolene that it was a coincidence, a.k.a. dumb luck, I would say if it's the Jolene side of things, then that's her surviving something the way that Joseph survived a lot of part two. I would say not only the end battle against cars. So that's that's a nice callback to Joseph that, you know, maybe Jolene didn't have the plan all set in her head, but 
dumb luck was on her side. Luck is a skill for Joseph. It must be for Jolene as well. Or even like Jotaro saying that the world is the same type of stand as Star Platinum's <laughs> and how that one caveat was able to save him in his fight against Dio. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all of these things, are they coincidence? Are they dumb luck? I think it's resolved, or at least as Rikyo's talking through it, he just knows that it's it's everyone in these situations being drawn towards destiny and the hap I think he says the happenstances that aided you up to this moment makes you have fate backing you in your corner. So how fate is always playing in the favor of the Joestar lineage, even when science is clearly trying to get the upper hand here with the rods of sky high. I also took it as Rikiel saying that Jolene's efforts to disrupt fate and to change Pucci's plans are basically for nothing. Uh, my my take was it was that Rikiel shares that the reason they're all attracted to Pucci, especially the sons of Dio, and want to, and the sons of Dio want to follow Pucci, is that Pucci is fulfilling Dio's will and Dio is their father and that everything that's happened has been fate and not coincidences basically saying that Jolene is doing what fate had planned all along but that fate happens to be aligned with Dio's will because Pucci mm. feels very strongly like attaining heaven this is where the world is going and the sons of Dio follow Pucci very very closely and therefore they also feel like everything is happening for a reason even Rikiel seems to be accepting of the fact that he lost as a uh, an additional step in fate's plan to get to what Dio wanted all along. So it's it's interesting to see the very different perspectives between the Joestar side of things and the Dio side of things. I just feel that Pucci may have miscalculated what true fate was going to be um, with jo what Jolene does at the end, the very end of before like the, 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 the thing happens uh, with Emporio specifically. Like Emporio was kind of her, her ace up her sleeve. But we'll get to that when we get to that episode. And this episode ends with the biggest reveal where Rikiel shares with Jolene that Weather Report is Poochie's biological brother. And that explains why we saw in the first episode of this core, um, Anasui discovering Weather Report's new birthmark on mm -hmm. his shoulder. So there you have it. Weather Report is Pucci's biological brother, which we'd all know because I, I hope that all of us have watched farther along in, at this point um, in Stone Ocean. <laughs> or it will explain why you saw the birthmark in the trailer too. Yeah, yeah, that was a big spoiler. I'm still surprised at that part, that final core part three or whatever Stone Ocean trailer. But here we are. We've gotten the reveal uh, Jolene is uh, shell-shocked by it, and we'll learn more about that in the coming episodes. Yeah, if you if you thought the Joestar family was fucked up, <laughs> the Pucci family is on a, on a whole nother level. <laughs> and that brings us to our final thoughts for part six, episode 27, Sky High. So, did this episode keep your eyelids open? It did. I was very invested in this episode, I've said it before, Rikiel reminds me of Whole Horse, and, and I just really enjoyed watching that. But I think the most impressive part of this episode is seeing how Jolene handled the situation, even when Hermes and Emporio are freaking out and they feel hopeless about how to overcome these rods, which can barely even be seen by the naked eye, let alone understood or stopped. Jolene does not hesitate for an instant, really. As soon as they hit that water, 
Um, she is calm and collected the, the whole way through and she does what needs to be done to overcome Rikyo, even if perhaps it's uh, overcoming him through sheer dumb luck. So I really enjoyed this episode. I think it played out um, really fun for an episode that focused solely on Rikyo. You really didn't get much of anything else besides Rikyo, but it was a, a fun fight to watch. What about you? I thought it was a decent episode. Uh, the Milkmaid Man doesn't get as graceful of a cameo as his two other brothers, but I think Rikio still manages to hold his own against Jolene in this episode. By the way, I just wanted to share that the VA for Rikio is Makoto Furukawa. Uh, Kaguya-sama fans might know him as the voice of Shirogane, and he's also the voice of Saitama from One Punch Man. Oh, that's why he sounds so familiar when he's screaming. Yeah, well, complete opposite character here because <laughs> Rikyo's kind of weak as fuck. <laughs> uh, but I think the biggest takeaway from the fight between Rikyo and Jolene is that it just reaffirms the Joestar's, the Joestar desire to never give up <laughs> and to always gain the upper hand against your opponent even if it becomes too excessive. But I also think for for being a son of Dio, Rikyo kind of has an underwhelming stand, despite its basis in scientific fact, but it does serve as a taste of what's to come with how science plays a key role in the climax of Stone Ocean and with the themes of fate and destiny. And maybe it's just because with Rikyo having this weak stand, or comparatively weak stand, he and the other sons of Dio are more bastard than beautiful. <laughs> but all in all, I thought it was a, a pretty good episode, but one that's not going to go as sky high in my memories of Stone Ocean Part 3. But I will say that Rikiel does take the cake for the quirkiest fashion statement of 2022. And that wraps up not only this episode of Strictly JoJo, but that wraps up 2022 for us here at the Strictly series. Once again, thank you guys so much for your support throughout this year. We we can't say enough about, you know, how happy we are to see all of the interaction from you guys, to share that love of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure with you guys. And we have more Stone Ocean in store for you for next year, as well as jumping back into part three, Stardust Crusaders, which in and of itself is always a wild ride. So thank you guys for a wonderful 2022, and we'll see you in 2023. Subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, like Saga and Christian L, head over to patreon.com slash series and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.